Amen. You know, I think if many of us were to look back on our spiritual lives and chart our spiritual growth over the years, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you you decide to look back and say, well, I wonder what my Christian life looks like, most of our charts would go up and then go down, and they would go up and they would go down. Because you see what happens in most of our lives is we move from mountaintops to valleys. We move from places in our spiritual life where we experience some kind of spiritual mountaintop, whether that's a revival or a youth camp or a summer experience that we had, whatever it is, we have some kind of spiritual mountaintop, and then we find ourselves drifting into the valleys, if not rolling into the valleys, to where we come to a place where we feel distant from God, where we feel like we're not where we need to be or not where we should be in our relationship to God. But that's not the way the spiritual life is supposed to be. You see, our spiritual life, according to what the Bible teaches about us growing towards God, is to be an upward climb towards his presence. It's always moving upward. There's not supposed to be these great dips, these great valleys. We're, we're to be going towards him. Now, sometimes we stop, sometimes we slow down in this path, but we're always to be moving forward. What I find in many Christians' lives is they hit these valleys, they hit these places where they're separated from God, and, and as they slip down, instead of stopping where they are, and recognizing what's going on, they just slowly begin to tumble until they find themselves in a spiritual wilderness. They find themselves in a spiritual place that they don't really know how they got there and they don't really know how to get out. You see, realistically, all of us are going to face valleys. Realistically, all of us are going to come to times in our life when we feel distant from God, when we feel like our relationship isn't where it needs to be. It's not, not passionate anymore. The fire's not there. Our prayers don't seem to go beyond the ceiling. Our worship is not the same as it once was. And when we get to those valleys, what are we supposed to do? How do we get out of them? See, I think if we were honest this morning, some of you are in those valleys. Some of you have been in valleys for a while. Some of you are just starting to slip down. Some of you are recognizing as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's convicting you that that's where you're headed. You're not where you need to be with God. Your relationship isn't as passionate. The fire hasn't been there lately. See, back about 500 years ago, uh, Christianity and the church had slipped into a deep valley. See, what had happened was they had replaced the reading of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God with rituals and symbolism. And it had grown into just... Nothing more than a ritual, religious experience instead of a passionate relationship to Christ. And all throughout that time period, 1400s, 1500s, there were men that were raised up and led by the Holy Spirit to try to encourage Christians to get back to a relationship to God. Men like John Huss and and, and, uh, Calvin Guys that that went out and pursued the church and said, we've got to get back to something that's real. We've got to get out of this valley. And almost all of them paid with their lives. Almost every one of them were killed simply for trying to encourage believers to get back to the truth of the Word of God. In about 1520, there was a young man studying to be a priest. Matter of fact, he'd been studying for about seven years. And he one day stumbled into this storeroom, to this closet. And on the corner of a closet, back where you could barely see it, chained to a pulpit that was being stored there was a Bible. 
This young man training to be a priest went over and broke the chain and got the Bible and took it back to his quarters. And for the very first time in his life, he began to read the Word of God on his own. And Martin Luther, in reading this book, saw his life totally changed. And we saw history changed because of it. You see, Martin Luther didn't just usher in the Reformation. He didn't just try to encourage and lead people to get out of a ritual religious experience into a relationship to God. The greatest thing he did was he took the Word of God that was in Latin at the time, and people didn't understand it, people didn't read it, and he translated it into the language of the people. And the power of the Word of God, when people began to read it it, for themselves, transformed the world. In England at the same time, there was a corrupt king, uh, Henry VIII. Those of you that study history know that Henry VIII had problems with relationships, had problems with uh, ladies in his life. And the Roman Catholic Church, uh, the corrupt church, had, had decided they were going to excommunicate him. Well, Henry said, that's okay, I'm going to start my own church. He started the Church of England, and he started it with good intentions. And the people uh, in that spirit of revival, in that spirit of reformation, wanted to really get back to a real church. And they started it with the best of intentions, but over time, it became corrupt. Over time, it it had gotten back into the valley where it had been. And about 300 years after Martin Luther, there were two brothers that looked at the church and said, we got a problem. We're dead. People no longer have a passion. People no longer have a fire. And a man by the name of Charles Wesley began to preach. And in 50 years of preaching, he preached over 40,000 messages, traveling almost 300,000 miles around Great Britain, most of it on horseback, calling the people back to the Word of God. We call that the first great awakening. His brother John Wesley wrote over 8,000 hymns. Figuring that he could reach people by taking the Word of God, putting it to music, to popular tunes, and people would sing the Word of God, and the power of that Word would penetrate their hearts. Uh, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Hark the herald angels sing. Jesus, lover of my soul, and many more hymns that we still sing today because those two young men began to get back to the Word of God. And that revival, that reformation that struck in England came all the way across the ocean to the United States of America and brought about a great awakening here that shaped and changed our nation. When you're in a valley, when you're struggling, how do you get out? See, in our study in the book of Nehemiah, we we recognize that the children of Israel have been in a valley for a while. Children of Israel had been struggling. We recognize, if you remember the history of where we are in Nehemiah, that uh, they'd been disobedient. They had sinned. They had turned their back on God. And because of it, God allowed them to be put into captivity. God allowed them uh, to, to see their nation destroyed. And for 70 years, two generations, they sat in captivity in Babylon. For two generations that came and went, they never got to experience what it meant to be the chosen people of God. Then God rose up a king in Persia that began to allow them to go home. For a hundred years, they traveled back to Jerusalem. And our story picks up with Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a passion and a heart to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we see in, in our study two weeks ago that they completed it against some of the greatest opposition. People talking bad, people threatening their lives, people coming up against them. They were able to accomplish what God had for them. And in 52 days, they built the walls. 
Now, chapter 7, which we're skipping through, we're going from 6 to 8 today. Chapter 7 of Nehemiah tells us that, and most of it's a census, that's why we're skipping around it. But they tell us that the walls were built, the, the gates were hung, the people were secure. They were excited because they thought the job was done. But there was something still missing. Something still not right. Because you see, just building the walls didn't establish a spiritual relationship. While they were becoming Jerusalem again, God's city, they still weren't God's people because they had never really repented from the sin that led them into captivity. And Nehemiah recognized that there was a problem. Matter of fact, even the people recognized there was a problem. There was an emptiness there. They were in a valley. Matter of fact, they had grown so comfortable in the valley that they considered it normal. You see, the sad thing for many Christians in the church, some of you have been in those spiritual valleys for so long that you just think this is the way it's supposed to be. You've forgotten what it was to have passion. You've forgotten what it was to want to read the Bible. You've forgotten what it was to want to hear what God's Word says to your heart. You've forgotten what it was to, to sit before the presence of God and experience that. And you've grown comfortable with the day-to-day routine of religion. What I want you to see this morning is that's not where God wants you to be. You see, God wants a relationship with you. God wants to encounter you, to empower you, to change you. But for that to happen, it takes more than building walls. See, what happens with most of our lives is is we get to that place like Nehemiah in Jerusalem. When we struggle in the valley, we think if we just get into a routine, then everything will be okay. See, the walls were nice. And so we think if we just go to church every week, then maybe somehow just going to church is going to get me out of this valley. It won't. We think if I join this Bible study, if I, if I do another Bible study group and, and I hang out with these Christian people, then all of a sudden it's going to get me out of the valley. It won't. You see, all of those routines, all of those rituals, while they're good things, without a heart that changes, it'll never mean anything. It'll just be another routine that you set. And as they looked at those walls and realized we're secure, they still felt empty. I wonder how many people come to church this morning and sing those songs. And I appreciate Josh filling in. Uh, Pray for Sid. He's on an 18-hour flight to Africa. uh, Just pray that God uses him, and we appreciate his obedience to that. Um, But we come and and we sing the songs and think if if we sing them louder, maybe it'll move my heart. If we listen to, maybe, but you see, for you to experience God, there has to be something that happens deep inside. And I, and I want us to see what happened that changed the face of Jerusalem. The place that they went from being a city of exile to a city of God. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, it's an incredible story because you see what happens right here. God slips in when when you don't even expect it. Uh, What many scholars believe is the first revival in the Bible, the first revival that's ever recorded, the the first renewal that's ever recorded, the first reformation. Let me give you the difference between revival and reformation. 
Because I call this message Reformation. You see, revival is when you take something that seems to be dead, that doesn't seem to be alive, and you bring it back to life. See, some people need revival. Revival, some of you this morning, you're spiritually just about dead. You've been in a valley so long that you are just not spiritually breathing. And the only thing that's going to bring you back to life is revival. But for most in the church, what we need is a reformation. You see, a reformation is when you take something that at one time had been a good thing, something that at one time had been growing and and seeking God, but it's fallen away. Either because of sin or disobedience or because of lack of attention. It's just just fallen away and it needs to be reformed, reshaped. And you see what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8 is God takes and he reforms the children of God. And what I believe God wants to do this morning is to reform some of you. He wants to reignite the passion that's in your heart, the passion that you once had. He wants to get you out of that valley, back to a place where you're growing steadily in him, back to a place where you have passion and excitement and joy. So what happens? Let's look at, look at our passage. Like I said, it's some great lessons for us. Ezra, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. In the seventh month... The Israelites had settled in their own towns. Now, the first day of the seventh month in Jewish uh, study is the celebration of the feast or the festival of of tabernacles, the festival of trumpets. Uh, It is what we call today Rosh Hashanah. They are gathering together for Rosh Hashanah, which is a feast of thanksgiving. That's one of their... uh, seven ritual feasts that they have throughout the year and so that's where this is taking us so they had already gone back to their homes i told you they had gotten settled they had gotten established they'd gotten back in their routine thinking everything's good because the walls are built but then all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate now the water gate uh is not where richard nixon sent people to break in okay uh the water gate was the largest gate and some of you don't even go richard nixon did what so the water gate is the largest gate in the wall, uh, around the temple and around the walls of Jerusalem. It was the largest gate because it's where people had to go to get water and bring it back into the city. Now, if you study all the gates and people that like to study the gates and talk about the meaning of the gates, the water gate always represents, symbolizes life. And for some, it symbolizes the word of God that brings life. And that's important to us because I want you to see the answer is tied around the water gate for getting us out of this valley. So as they gathered before the water gate, it was also the largest place. We find at the end of chapter 7, there's almost 50,000 people now in Jerusalem. So 50,000 people are gathering here inside the walls. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of the Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest. Now Ezra's introduced to us here for the first time. Ezra, you remember, was the priest that was sent back 14 years before Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He was sent back with a group of people to establish worship in Jerusalem, to go back and rebuild the temple. But for 14 years now, nothing had happened because the people had rejected Ezra's message. Ezra was sent back to begin to get them to fall back in love with God and with God's word, but they had rejected it. And here now, for some reason, they had reached a point where they were calling out to Ezra. And so Nehemiah lets Ezra come. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. 
as he faced a square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, what did the people say when they gathered? People gathered for this feast of trumpets, and what did they begin to say? Give us the word. Bring out the word. We want to hear the word. You see, the first step for you to get out of the valley that you're in spiritually, the first step for reformation is a hunger for the word of God. See, what brought out the first reformation was Martin Luther. It was when he opened this book and realized it was more than a dusty old book to sit on a shelf. It had the power to change and transform. It had the power to touch your spirit and change your life. You see, what God is looking for is people that have a hunger. Matter of fact, they're the word that desire. When they said, bring us the book, get out the Bible, bring the word of God. The the word there is very similar to what happens when a woman craves something during her pregnancy. Some of you guys remember when your wife was pregnant and she was craving something. Nothing else would satisfy And you see, what they're saying is, listen, we've tried everything else. We've built the walls. We're we're establishing our jobs. Everybody's coming back to the city, but we're still empty on the inside. We still don't feel like we're where God wants us to be. And some of you need to recognize this morning, that's you. You've written checks and taught Sunday school and and, and told about Jesus and, and tried to do everything else. It's time for you to get back to the Word of God. Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you hungered for the Word of God? When's the last time you came to church expecting God to show up, anticipating? When's the last time you came to church and and, and you were scared not to come because you didn't want to miss what God was going to say that morning? You see, I've always told you, you're only going to get out of worship what you put into worship. See, they were tired of going through the motions. They were tired of being in the valley. They got a hunger inside of them that would only be satisfied by the life-giving word of God. See, listen to me. The reason so many of us, you were created when you began a relationship with Jesus Christ for a desire, a hunger for his word because God reveals himself right here. He wrote this love letter to you and I. And when you became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, there was put in you a hunger, a desire for this book. But you see what happens is many of us try to fill that hunger and desire with all kind of junk. Let's just be honest. We try to fill it with the stuff of this world. Try to fill it with TV shows and video games and all the other distractions. And we wonder why we sit in the valley. For over a hundred years, the children of Israel had tried to fill it with everything else. And in their brokenness, they decided they wanted the word of God. That the only thing that could satisfy was the word of God. You see, I'm afraid many of us today are no longer hungry for the word. Some of us go days, weeks, months without reading this. Some of us don't even know where our Bibles are. Is it any wonder that we're in a valley? 
See, this book is the power to change lives. This book is the power to speak grace and forgiveness and mercy to your soul. Remember the story of a little boy that went and brought the big family Bible. I don't know if you have a big family Bible in your house. My grandparents always had a big family Bible. I'm talking about like the huge thing that was heavier than anything else in the house. I, I thought it held down the coffee table, right? And so the little boy goes and picks up this huge Bible, and he, he brings it in. He says, Daddy, what is this? And the dad says, Why, son, that's the Bible. That's God's Word. And the little boy, without missing a beat, says, Well, then we better give it back to him because we're surely not using it. And let's be honest. They were hungry for the word. They were hungry to hear it. They were hungry to receive it. They were hungry to, to allow them to be able to experience it. And let me just tell you this. There's a difference between real hunger and passing pains. Okay, some of us get these craves. Some of us, every once in a while, we crave something. Uh, we may have a little desire. Do you know the difference between real hunger and this passing craving that we get that we think I can just get a little bit of it says those people did you hear how long he read said from the time the sun came up till 12 noon six and a half seven hours it says he read and they listened you see most of us come we come to church we're looking for some kind of spiritual snack right we just want some fast food. Just give it to me real quick, Pastor. I just want to eat it, soak it down, be able to go, and I'll be hungry again in a couple of hours. See, they weren't satisfied with something quick and, and a quick fix. They said, no, we're looking for a feast. They wanted to buffet on the Word of God. They had a deep hunger. Let me tell you something. When you're hungry for something, and let's just be honest, when you're hungry for something, there's nothing that can keep you away from it. See, when you're hungry for the Word of God, it doesn't matter what the weather looks like. Some of you, you know what it's like when you crave a certain food. Man, I want Italian. That's ah, nasty outside. It doesn't matter. I've got to have Italian. Let's go. Let's get in the car and go. It, it's snowing. It doesn't matter. I want some Italian. and I, I won't be able to sleep tonight if I don't get any Italian. And so you get in the car and you drive and go eat whatever it is that will satisfy that hunger. Let me tell you something. When there is a spiritual hunger there, Nothing will satisfy it but the Word of God. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were hungry for God's Word? When was the last time you couldn't wait to get to worship? See, most of us drag to church. Most of us make all the excuses in the world. We start with good intentions. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And we, we don't look at it as satisfying our soul. We look at it as routine. When's the last time that you were in church and you didn't want it to be over? Why don't you be honest with yourself? I, I like to read. I'm a, I'm a huge book reader, and I read four or five books. And I always hate when I get to the end of a book, when you can, you know, when you start getting close to an, the book, and it's been a big book, and you're really involved in it, and all of a sudden you can tell it's coming to the end. And you start slowing down. Do any of y'all do that? I'll, I do that. I'll, I'll start slowing down. You know, I, I read through them so quick and I get to the end. I just don't want it to end. 
I don't want those characters to be over. I don't want this story to... When's the last time you came to worship and you could tell as it was winding down, you said, I don't want this to end. I don't want the Spirit of God to to stop what He's doing. Or you were at home reading the Bible and it was time to go to work or it was time to go somewhere else. You said, I don't want to stop. See, the reason that doesn't happen to many of us is because we filled ourselves up on so much junk. We've forgotten what it's like to be hungry. These people said, I'm hungry for the word. But not only were they hungry, when they began to hear the word, they allowed it to penetrate their heart. They really heard it. See, they just didn't sit back and say, okay, you've got 15 minutes, throw it at me. They listened and allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to let it speak to them. Now, did you hear what he was reading? See, people say, okay, I can listen to a preacher. Tell a cool story, preacher. I'll listen to you then, right? Tell something funny. You know, make it short and sweet and make it funny, and then maybe I'll listen to it. Parable of Jesus, those are exciting, you know. Maybe a, a, a cool Sermon on the Mount story, I can follow that. Do you know what they were reading? They were reading the book of the law. Do you know what the book of the law is? That's the part of the Bible that when you decide you're going to read through the Bible in a year and you start in Genesis off strong and you get over to numbers and you get over to deuteronomy and you start going this is boring right and let's just be honest you start going okay and we die there we stop reading I, the the book of the law has killed more believers trying to read through the bible than any other place because you start getting into it. And, and that's what Ezra is reading. And these people are so hungry that they're hearing this. And they are listening and letting it speak to their heart. Because you see, here's the thing. When you're hungry and you begin to get the truth, it doesn't matter. You're not distracted by what you're going to do this afternoon. You're not distracted by where you're going to lunch or, or who's texting you or, or what's going on later this week. You are so focused on getting fed that it doesn't matter. Have you ever sat down and began to eat so much that you didn't know what else was going on? Have you ever been in a place like that? See, most of you hadn't tried Texas barbecue if you hadn't, right? Because when you sit down to a big plate of ribs and brisket, man, I, I don't care who's around. People can be talking, and my wife say, Rusty, Rusty. I don't hear because there's ribs right here. And I just, I mean, it's all over my face and it's everywhere because I'm just craving it. You see, that's the way it is when you're hungry for the Word of God. And all of a sudden, it begins to speak to you, and it's more than just a book. They became transfixed by the Word of God. It spoke to them. See, every Sunday, my goal as the pastor of this church, when I get up here and say, Thus saith the Lord, is to get out of the way and let this book speak, because this is where the power is. To try to help you understand. See, this isn't my time. People say, well, I want something a little deeper, Rusty. You know, you always just kind of throw it. And I won't say, it's not my time to show you how educated I am. It's not my time to speak over your head so you can go, oh, that pastor knows a whole lot. It's my time to open this book up and explain it in a way that the Holy Spirit can use it to speak to your heart. And when you're hungry and you begin to hear it, all of a sudden God's spirit comes in and begins to challenge you. And all of a sudden you begin to recognize where you've been and where you need to be. You see, when you get hungry and you hear it, all of a sudden your life begins to change. How do we know they heard it? Well, let's keep reading. Look at verse 5. Or verse 4. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform. I mean, they built a huge platform for him to preach. 
And he was standing above them. And as he opened up, the people all stood up. He didn't have to say stand up. When he began to read the word of God, they all of a sudden got to their feet. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. I want you to think about that. How do we know they heard? Because they began to respond. It changed their worship. You see, when you begin to allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart, you can't hold back. They got emotional. Because you see, the Word of God always will drive us to emotion. I don't know why in the church we've gotten to a place where we said, oh, we've got to separate emotion from experience. You can't. When I think about the prodigal father getting off the porch and running towards me, I can't help but get emotional. Said as they were reading the book of the law and they were hearing how much God loved them, it said they began to raise their hands. Now I know we're Baptists and we weren't raised to raise our hands. You're not under the law, but you've got freedom here. There's times when we sing a song, I just want to raise my hands. People say, well, what does that mean when you raise your hand? You know, I was raised in a church that you didn't raise your hands. Well, when my kids were little, and I'd been at work all day, and I pulled up in the driveway, both of my kids would come out of the house. I'm talking when they were two and three. And they would come running, and they would raise their hands and say, Daddy, Daddy. So there's some times when we're singing, I just want to raise my hand and say, Abba, Father, that you would love me that you would bless me. It says they began to raise their hands. You see what else it said? They began to say, amen. Amen. Must not have been a Baptist church, right? See, sometimes you can't hold back. You hear the truth of the word of God? You, you just, it, amen. That's right. I've got a bad habit. I clap. You ought to see me in the 11 o'clock service. God will, be, will sing something, how great thou art or something. Man, I'm, woo! <laughs> what? And I look around, I'm like, I didn't do that, okay? Because sometimes when the Spirit of God begins to speak to you personally, you can't hold it back. Sometimes you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch, right? Because the Word of God was speaking. It affected them. And then look what happened. It said, then they bowed down and worshiped their Lord with their faces to the ground. See, they went from shouting and amening to falling on their face. Because see, when you really hear the word of God, it drives you to make some decisions. See, what the word of God is, guys, is it's a mirror that when we begin to read it, it shows us who we really are. See, some of us, we believe all the hype. We believe that we're pretty good, right? I'm better than that old boy over there. I'm better than she is. You ought to see how I live this week. I, I mean, I'm not, not super Christian, but, man, I'm doing pretty good. I came to church twice this week. I gave some money. Man, I'm doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, we start reading this book, and we see who God wants us to be. And the moment we start seeing who God wants us and created us to be, it drives us to our knees because I don't match up. Some of you this morning that, that you think you're on a high and you start reading this book and you realize you've really been in a valley for a long time. You just convinced yourself through routines that everything's okay. You've just been smiling, coming to church and acting like everything's okay, but you've been pretending. And in your heart and in your spirit, you're not where God wants you to be. 
You see, God's word, when you really listen to it, will always drive you to respond. And by not responding, that's a response. By walking away, that's a response. You see, as he was reading it, all of a sudden there was conviction there. And it said the Levites, I'm not going to read that list of names there. You can read them later. They were instructing the people of the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning that the people could understand that was being read. It's very important. That's why I always tell you, find a Bible you can understand. Some of you are still reading King James. It's okay. but, But listen, if you don't understand it, what good is it for you? See, somehow we've got this idea that, that, you know, I've got to read this because this was written in 1611, and it's, no, don't get wrapped up into that. If I offend some of you, I'm sorry. I believe the modern translations are just as much God's word as the King James is. Matter of fact, if you go and look at the modern and recent discoveries of some of the things that we found, they're better translations than King James. Find a book that you can understand, that the Word of God can come alive to you so you don't get lost in the thou's and the these and hither thou. People start quoting that stuff. Listen, this isn't a book to be quoted. It's a book to be lived. And you quote all of it, but if you're not living it, you're missing it. Because you see, they begin, Ezra was reading the book in Hebrew. He's standing on this platform. They'd been so far from God, they didn't understand Hebrew anymore. They'd been in the valley so long, exiled, they no longer understood the language of their people. So it said the priests were going among them, translating what Ezra was saying in their own language so they could hear it clearly. See, that's what the Word of God is supposed to be. Heard clearly by our spirits. And what happened when they heard it? It says, Then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and all the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the word of God. See, they went from shouting and singing to mourning and weeping. Why? Because they began to realize that they were the reason they were in the valley. See, some of us, we we convince ourselves that it's somebody else's fault. I'd be close to God, but that preacher, that Sunday school teacher made me mad. There was somebody in the church that, man, so I, I can't help where I'm at spiritually. But you see, when you begin to really hear the word of God, it brings conviction. When they begin to recognize that they were the reason They were where they were. It broke their hearts. And it drove them to change. See, this book will always call you to change. But here, I want you to hear me. Conviction without repentance never lasts. See, a lot of people come to church and they hear what God's saying. And they get convicted. People say, well, pastor, it sounded like you were talking about me. That's the Holy Spirit. But for many of us, we recognize I'm in the valley. But if we don't do anything to change it, that conviction means nothing. And you know what happens? Hear me. I'm going to give you a little spiritual truth tied up in something easy to understand. What happens is the more you don't listen to God's conviction, the harder your heart will get and you'll stop hearing it. You see, some of you have told God no so much, you don't even hear him asking anymore. 
You see, they got convicted and they fell on their face and they began to weep. See, they were hungry. They heard the word. They responded. But this is my favorite part of the story. This is the most beautiful part because you see, when you want to get out of the valley and you get hungry and you begin to really hear the word of God and you begin to respond, guess what the word of God does? Look what he says in verse 10. Nehemiah says, go and enjoy food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. For this day is a sacred day of the Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Stop weeping. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Because you see, when you begin to read the word of God and you begin to respond to it, you will begin to understand that the whole goal of this book is to reconcile you to God. You see what they were beginning to understand? They were weeping because they thought, we have run from God. We've left God. And Nehemiah came to them and said, stop weeping. When you ran from God, God didn't run from you. Let me give you a little secret. When you're in the valley, God's right there with you. When you're struggling, God's right there with you. He never leaves you. It's you that left him. I mean, it's a picture of the prodigal father a thousand years before Jesus gave it. Because you see, when you begin to respond to the word of God with repentance, all of a sudden there is reconciliation. All of a sudden the joy that you hadn't felt in a long time starts bubbling over. They started experiencing joy. They started experiencing something they hadn't felt in a hundred years. Some of you need to understand this morning, you're in a deep valley. And while that valley may seem deep, you need to recognize that the mountaintop is only a prayer away. You see, the beauty of the Word of God is that repentance and mourning will always lead to joy. And it will always lead to reformation and revival. There was a man that bought his wife a new car. Got with her as he bought her the new car and got some papers together and a little binder and said, Honey, I'm so excited for you to have this new car. If you ever get in an accident, this is all the insurance information. I'm going to put it in the glove box. And as luck would have it, a couple of weeks later, she's driving and she's involved in an accident. Brand new car. And she's so upset. She's weeping. She's scared. What is her husband going to say? He's going to get mad. She's, she's shaking. She's so upset. Then she remembers the insurance information in the glove box. So while she sits there in the car, she reaches over and she pops the glove box and grabs the folder. And as she grabs it, there's a note that falls out. And it's a note from her husband. She picks it up and in it it says, Honey, if you're reading this, it means you had an accident. But I'm happy that if you're reading this, it means you really weren't hurt. Because the most important thing I want you to know is it's just a car. And what really matters to me is you. Church, Christians, listen to me. Some of you are in a valley today. You need to read the note. You need to hear the note. What's important to God It's not what you did. It's not what you're doing. It's who you are. 
He wants you. Will you respond? Reformation can start this morning. It's a prayer away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Father, I thank you for the the truth of your word. Father, I believe there's some here that are in the valley this morning. Some have been in the valley so long, they've set up a house there. And it's just become normal to them. Father, let them hear your note this morning. Father, I believe there's some that are tired of going through the motions, tired of the same old routine, tired of pretending to have something that they don't. Father, let it change this morning. God, I believe there's a rumbling of some hunger breaking out. I believe some here that hadn't been hungry for a long time are starting to get hungry because your Holy Spirit is birthing a desire within them. God, let it start today. God, let them hear your word. Let them hear the truth of your word and bring reformation. Reformation to our church, reformation to our community, reformation to each person here.